Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the rare Monday afternoon edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie on draft week in the NHL. Silly season is upon us, Julian McKenzie. And the world, the hockey world, descending on Montreal, your home turf, for what will be maybe an exhilarating weekend with hockey transactions and so on and so forth. It's going to be the first time in a while that all the GMs and all the important people, decision makers, are going to be in the same room. So an optimist might suggest that, hey, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun one, and you're going to have a front row seat to that. So I look forward to picking your brain in this podcast. But I'm also pretty excited for you because, because this is going to be a big week. And I know you're a little under the weather. So it's important that we rest up, get the fluids into you, hydrate, because you have some big work to do this weekend, my friend. A lot of editing. Uh, I believe I'm going to be live blogging the NHL draft for the Athletic. Mm. Uh, a lot of networking, obviously, as uh, all my coworkers are going to be in town. Uh, the SDPN is having a fan appreciation night on the Friday night. Yes, and uh, yeah, man, it's a, it's a very stacked last few days. Uh, I'm thankful that it was... It's weird to say you're thankful for food poisoning as opposed to COVID, but yeah. if it was COVID, I'd be stuck in my room missing out on all this. Instead, it was just, I don't know if it was whatever raw fish I had at some restaurant or 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 I have these like random pieces of bacon strips on the Sunday morning I woke up and I don't know what it was, but I was not feeling good yesterday. But uh, I feel a lot better now. I feel a lot better right now. But you're right. That silver lining is you should probably bounce back in time for the weekend festivities. Uh, And of course, as you mentioned, uh, if it was COVID, if it was something else, maybe that wouldn't be possible. So that's a good thing. Silver lining. Always good to be an optimist. And we'll try to be as optimistic as possible through this podcast. We're going to run through a lot of uh, different scenarios that may or may not unfold this week. We may not get answers. We may get answers. uh, But I think it's worth discussing a few of these important bullets um before draft night and i think the most important thing what's really going on what's got everyone's attention are the montreal canadians and what they might do with the first overall pick is it going to be shane wright is it going to be uri slavkovsky is it going to be both shane wright and uri slavkovsky or neither it's the intrigue is there because the montreal canadians are not tipping their hand one way or another uh we just listened to kent Hughes talk about uh, the Montreal Canadiens process leading into draft week. Anything worth gleaning from that, Julian? I mean, you mentioned the two names there. You have to add Logan Cooley's name in all this. Do as we? Well. There could Do be. We? 
I mean, they they said there were three different people they were looking at, and okay, they, that's fair. We've already seen right. We've seen Slavkowski. I think there were reports going around that uh, during the combine, they went out to dinner with Wright and Cooley. Cooley also happens to play center. You have to include him in all this if you're going to say there's three people, unless for all of, for unless they have this interest in Simon Nemich or or, or David Yurchek that we have no clue oh, about. We, we can't extend it past three. We can't. Let's not get crazy. That's it. Yeah, we we can't get too crazy. But I mean, I don't know. I I feel the Canadians have been doing this really interesting job at keeping everything to the chest while leaving everyone on the Twitter sphere to basically just combat each other or beat people up, virtually speaking, about who they should pick. Some people saying it's Shane Wright, other people saying it's Slavkowski. Like it, it's just been nuts. And meanwhile, the Canadians are just kind of just chilling back and just saying, you know what? Like we'll we'll let you guys know who it is when it comes time. I think it's Shane Wright has been the right pick all along. I think that the Canadians have been in need of a center. Yeah, you see what I did there. I think the Canadians for the longest while have needed uh depth at the center position. And this is a golden opportunity for them to stock up at that point. I know a lot of people are looking at Slavkowski and what he's done at the Olympics and the talent that he has and where he could be positioned if he plays for the Montreal Canadiens, likely on a top line with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. But there are other options out there for them to get a, a scoring left winger who can play along them. It's not every day you're able to draft a number one overall pick who could steady, who give yourself a one-two punch at the center position for what, like the next decade or so? Mm-hmm. I think the Canadians should should opt to go for Shane Wright, but there's a reason why I'm here and I'm not sitting in the Canadians' front office. Why do you think they're keeping everyone on the edge of their seat? Is there is there a method to that? Is there a reason? Is it the entertainment factor? I mean, the first time that a city drafting a player uh, or an organization hosting the draft will draft first overall since 1985 and Wendell Clark. So there's some theatrical element to this. But is it possible that they just don't really know or they might be shopping or they might be looking to maximize or leverage this position uh, as much as possible? Do you think it's sort of a mix of the theatrics and the strategy or one more than the other? I don't feel as if the Canadians need to do that much to generate theatrics, especially in their own city. So I have a hard time thinking that they do this purposefully at the very least, like they know them having the pick and having those all the high stakes that come with it. They don't again. They don't need to do much to kind of generate that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's theatrics. I'm willing to believe that they genuinely don't know, and they're doing everything they can to examine uh, which pick is right. They did kind of mention during their press conference that being Kent Hughes and Vincent Cavalier, who's also part of their front office staff, that you know they, they are looking to to take their time and try to talk to everyone possible and get everyone's opinions in before making a decision. I think Le Cavalier even mentioned that he spoke to Shane Wright in the in the next few days. They're going to speak to Cooley and Slavkowski which I guess you could say, too, it might be a bit weird that you're talking to those two guys so late in the game, but that could be a whole other situation in itself. Yeah, I'm willing to believe that the Canadians might not genuinely know who to pick, and I I would love to know from Kent Hughes when it comes time when the team actually knew it was going to come time for them to pick whoever they pick at number one. It could be possible they they might make the decision like Thursday morning. They wake up and they say, okay, this guy is the player. I'm also intrigued at the fact that there is a possibility they could always trade up in the first round. They do have the two first round picks. And I I think if the right deal comes along, I don't see them moving that first overall pick. I think they see, I see them trading up and maybe they get themselves like a top 15 pick or something. I don't see them getting into a point where they get two top three picks. That would be too insane, but you know what? Stranger things have happened. I totally see them uh, maybe packaging that first round pick 
maybe moving one of those players that uh, like a Josh Anderson or a Jeff mm-hmm. Petrie, uh, some someone on their roster who has been generating a lot of attention. And Christian Dvorak could be thrown in this as well. I think it's more plausible. You see some kind of package move where you can get a higher pick for the Canadians. If they get themselves in the top three, though, that that would change everything. And this whole draft would go bananas at that point. Yeah, talk about theatrics. Uh, that would be a power move. That would be something that would really shock and be a memorable mo- a moment, especially in Montreal. And it seems somewhat possible because the New Jersey Devils are open to trading the number two pick for whatever reason. Uh, I'm not sure about the rationale behind that. It doesn't make much sense to me. That's not a team that's ready to take a massive step forward. They didn't just win. They don't. They won the lottery, obviously. They didn't get handed something and are ready to add that piece to a championship core i think they still have a lot of building to do but they want apparently move the number two pick and if montreal had anything really worth it to send back that would be exceptional but i just don't think they have something that could entice the devils uh at least i don't believe that's the case yeah look, that's my whole thing about that pick too right because philip forsberg is out there and i get it you know what you don't want to just trade for philip forsberg and not you know have him in a sign and trade uh, Kevin I mean, Fiala was just moved yeah that I mean, would be the type of move. Yeah, exactly. There are all these other players out there. Like, no disrespect to Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson wouldn't move the needle for me for number two overall pick compared no. to what's out there. Like a Fiala or, well, Fiala's already gone, but a Forsberg, for example, right? Like, that would make more sense if there was like one rumor that went around with the Islanders might ship their pick for Josh Anderson. And I think mm-hmm. they're in the early teens or, or in the early tens. Like, that makes a little bit more sense. Like, for number two overall, I feel like if you're Tom Fitzgerald, it seems as if with all the reports that go around about it, it seems like he's itching to make some kind of a move. Mm-hmm. If I'm Tom Fitzgerald, you have to blow me out the water with some player you're looking to offer me for that second overall pick. I understand the draft class, not as not as big of a deal as what we're looking to make next year's class out of, but they still have an opportunity to get themselves a pretty big impact player and a guy like your Slavkovsky at number two overall. If you're going to give, if you want that second overall pick, you got to give me something in return if I'm Tom Fitzgerald. Okay, give me a prediction for the Montreal Canadiens. Who are they spending that first overall pick on? And what do they do in the mid to late rounds um, to either continue to expedite this rebuild process or to just nab another good young player and make this the draft that was, you know, starts with the Montreal Canadiens, but, you know, ends figuratively with the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, I, I see them just getting right at first overall. They're trading. I think they trade up into the top 15. And I, th- I think one or two, and these are just predictions, not based on Intel, one or both of either Jeff Peacher or Josh Anderson are gone. Uh, just with, with the amount of money they have on their contracts uh, and and where they're at in their careers I, I and how open at least Kent Hughes has been with Jeff Petrie, maybe a little less so with Josh Anderson. They've been over the last few days on those files. I, th- I think we're going to see some moves from the Montreal Canadiens. This is going to be a really interesting offseason for them. They're, I think they're in a position where they want to clear some salary and start building towards the team of the future that they want to put together. Obviously, Carey Price's health is going to be a huge, huge factor on how they go about some of their offseason plans. But I think with some of the moves they can make, if they're able to, I think Jeff Petrie probably more likely than Anderson, but Petrie definitely, I think, in the next few days. I could totally see it happen. I see them moving up. I see them moving around some of their picks as well. Uh, they have so many. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to see them use all of them. Maybe you turn some of the 
think they have like a handful of third round picks. You could easily turn that into a way for them to move up into the second round, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, yeah, I, I see them kind of shipping away some of their picks to kind of move up in some of the rounds in. Uh, I again, I don't see them picking two picks in the in the first three picks, but that would be a crazy move to see. But I think they'll move. I wouldn't be surprised if they move that 26 and they turn it into a 15th or a 14th overall pick. Kent Hughes wants to make something happen, which means it should be in an entertaining draft night in Montreal and more specifically for the Canadians. Uh, also a general manager that's making things happen or is in co- constantly making things happen for their organization is Julian Brisebois. And he went ahead and really with a snap of the fingers solved a lot of the issues or future issues that were going to plague the Tampa Bay Lightning after the third straight Stanley Cup final appearance, dealing Ryan McDonough to the Nashville Predators uh, for Philippe Myers and a dude with a a hilarious last name, um, who's probably not going to be of any consequence. But anyway. What do you got against uh, Grant Mishmash? Is that how you say it? Isn't it mismatch? It can't be mismatch. It's just, it's crazy. Like well, how else would you say it? Mies, I don't know. I don't even want to try. Mismash? I don't know. Probably not. It's, it's probably mismatch. It's almost more ridiculous if you say it other than mismatch. <laughs> I still <laughs> think I still think Julia Breezebois, and that's no disrespect to, to Mr. Mismatch, who has probably done everything he can to be the pro player that he is today. Yes. I still think Julia Breezebois was literally like, you know what? Just take the Ryan McDonough contract and give us whatever mishmash you're able to give us. And <laughs> exactly. then they're like, we literally exactly. have a guy named mishmash. Yeah. Here and he all, is. Like, okay, all of a sudden, fine. all of a sudden they were booking travel for a guy named mishmash. Uh, no, but knowing that lightning, he's going to be like a future star and we'll all have to eat our words for making fun of mismatch. Felipe Myers uh, too, apparently. Yeah. And there was talk about him being bought out, but apparently he's going to stay. So we should probably have some Philippe Myers stock as well. Um, but this is incredible work by, uh, Julian Brisebois, it's cutthroat, but it's, it, it's incredible because he continues to sustain the Lightning over time. They got rid of his $6.75 million salary. They can allocate those funds elsewhere. They got Nick Paul on a ridiculous bargain deal. If you look at the AAV, this is a guy who may have cut his career earnings in half with that deal. I might be a, being, I might be a little bit dramatic with that, but I actually think it's possible. Nick Paul... Uh, in a couple of years time could be a player worth five, six million dollars with the salary cap going up and his role increasing for a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. But he's going to be around for seven more years. It's likely that Mikhail Sergachev gets extended. It's likely that Andre Palat sticks around. It's likely that Jan Ruda sticks around now. It looks like the Lightning will come back just as they were, but without Ryan McDonough, which is something they can probably overcome because they've got Mikhail Sergachev waiting in the wings. For the last three years, they've had a guy with top four potential easily playing on their bottom pair. Now he steps up in the, in the succession process, uh, and Tampa Bay should be really, really strong. Once again, what's your take on Ryan McDonough accepting his fate and going to the Nashville Predators? As someone who obviously has the Montreal Canadiens lens that they have, I can't help but laugh at the fact that uh, both Ryan McDonough and Mikhail Sergachev both Canadians' property at one point there you go. Uh, are involved in this story. And who knows what the Canadians would look like with both of them on defense. The fact that they have a guy like Mikhail Sergachev, who has gone through as many playoff games as he has, has accumulated the experience that he has, and can now find himself in a position where he's playing more solid minutes and, and, and getting a more expanded role, 
already more than what he was getting before. It's not as if he was just some healthy scratch. Like, that's incredible for how Tampa Bay builds this team. And you're absolutely right. With the way that they look, if I just had to look up Nick Paul and how much he's getting signed for for the next seven years. That is a steal for what this guy could be easily commanding on the free agent market if he so chose. And I think that just speaks to what Tampa Bay has, what they've built over the last few years. And if you're in a situation where you could put your, where you can find yourself at least competing for a championship every year, you can understand why some guys would be willing to kind of cut some of their earnings a little bit. I, I get where a guy like Nick Paul might be thinking, you know what? It's worth it for me to make 3.15 every year as opposed to making five, six million for a team that is not nearly as good. And that just extends the window for a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, a guy like like uh, Steven Stamkos is gonna is is not getting any younger. Uh, yeah, so they still have Nikita Kucherov. They still have Braden Point. They still have a lot of great guys that are still young enough to keep that core up there. And look, I know I've mentioned it before. I'm still a little still a little leery of, of whether or not Tampa Bay could actually come back and be that team. But we're not talking about a Lightning squad that's going to completely fall off the cliff. They are still going to compete. And the fact that they were able to make that move work, uh, even if it does come at the expense of one of their better defensemen in Ryan McDonough, it just helps extend the window for them. And there's still a team to be feared in that Eastern Conference. Yeah, and Ryan McDonough was immensely important to this team. Like, let's let's not get it twisted. He was 100%. a very, very important piece and probably would have been a very, very important piece for the next several years. But is he meeting that value anymore? Will he meet that value next year? Will he meet that value in two, three years' time? I'm not really sure, and I think that there's one thing that Tampa Bay does really, really well is that they identify when things might be turning in terms of career trajectory and career apex and all that. I think they do a very, very good job at self-evaluating. Self-evaluation is a, probably a lost art in the NHL, and it's not one with Julian Brisebois, who continues to make the right moves. And now if you're Andre Palat, like, you just saw what happened to McDonough. You just saw what Paul signed for. Are you going to try and squeeze every last drop out of the lemon yourself. I highly doubt it. I expect that Palat will get done pretty easily, honestly, despite, uh, you know, his immense earning potential on the open market if he so chooses to explore that. But I, I think it might get done even before that and that Julian Breezebaugh has just set the stage for what is going to be a pretty clean and easy offseason, which should not be the case for a team that's gone to three straight Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, like if you're a guy like Andre Palat and you've been as successful as you've been in Tampa and you like what's going on there, is it worth trying to command more money from Seattle? Or would you want to stay in Tampa Bay and keep winning? I got, I'm all for players maximizing their money, trying to get trying to maximize their earning potential. But if you want to win, I totally understand why you're willing to cut back if you're a guy like Andre Palat. No, no, no disrespect to Seattle, but they're the Kraken and they're not the Lightning. And five million is more like six. If uh, you know you look at the tax situation and all that, it really is very beneficial to play in a no tax state. With uh, you know the cost of living is not even that that crazy, mm-hmm. which is pretty remarkable in its own right. Uh, so the Lightning stay strong. Calgary Flames may not be staying as strong. It could be a house of cards situation here with Johnny Gaudreau being offered a maximum term deal. So eight years times $9.5 million. And he's just chewing on it. He's sitting back and he's waiting for maybe some conversations, maybe the opportunity to explore the free market. Uh, But the Calgary flames can't really do much other than sit back and wait to see if 
Gaudreau will bite on one of their offers. And 9.5 could become 10.5 very, very quickly. But the Calgary Flames can offer the best financial package probably to Johnny Gaudreau, but it's a matter of preference. Does he want to be in Calgary anymore, or is he going to look for a new destination, a new home this offseason? What do you make of that situation? Should there be some serious, serious red flags that the offer is in, but the response has not been uh, given by Gaudreau? Or, you know, is just patience uh, probably needed in this situation, do you think? I think patience, but I can understand why people feel the need of red flags. I don't know. I, I get the sense that Johnny Gaudreau, as great of a player as he is, he's, he's what I'm talking about, maximizing their earning potential. He's a guy who I think wants to take advantage of that. And it's not to say Calgary can't give him a handsome sum of money, but saying like, I don't know what New Jersey situation is like, but if you can go home and make some more money, I'm, I can understand why that's something you would think about. People have been mentioning Seattle as a possible destination for Johnny Gaudreau, where look, he's already, I guess the man in, in, in Calgary, he would be the guy in on the Seattle Kraken roster. If that would happen, I, I still don't see it, but it, it is a fascinating kind of wild idea to see him kind of put on a Seattle Kraken uniform. Imagine you were trudging along in that first year. Everyone's kind of maligning you for all of your expansion picks. And then you make this wild free agent signing, getting one of the best players who was part of the best line in hockey last year in Johnny Goudreau. Um, I, I think some patience is required. He seems as if he's a guy who, who genuinely liked being in Calgary, he made it that like his family liked being around there too. Uh, like I, I get the sense that maybe people should kind of wait a little bit, but we are a couple, we are like a little over a week away from the free agent frenzy period. It wouldn't surprise me completely if he went to test it just to see what he could get. Um, I'm not ready to, to put on the alarm bells just yet. I, we should come to expect that a player like Johnny Goudreau should want more money, should want to be, uh, should want to test the free agent period. This guy is a goal scorer. And this guy, I think if he really, was able to to kind of let his wings kind of grow a little bit. Like he could fi- find himself as a more of a face of the league. He seems like he's a guy who has a bit of personality too, kind of lurking under the surface as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not completely surprised that he would want to see what other people are looking to offer. him. I, I wouldn't call it red flags though. It's just, let's be patient a little bit. Yeah. If I'm like Jacob Markstrom, Blake Coleman, that kind of, you know, I'm locked into Calgary for a couple more years. I'm chewing my nails a little bit. I'm a little bit concerned because I think the reaction from management, if in fact the Flames do lose Johnny Gaudreau, will be a pretty, not a negative one. It, it, It would just be one that would be very reactionary the other way because I don't think they can continue to contend the way that they built this team without Johnny Gaudreau leading the line. I think it I think if any team stands to lose the most, it's the Calgary Flames with Johnny Gaudreau. And you you mentioned Cal or uh, Seattle rather a few times here. I think are you are you expecting Seattle to be like a, a major major player here? In People keep mentioning. I guess they Seattle. got all the money, right? They do. People keep mentioning Seattle. I'm just like I'm considering it as one of those when there's smoke, there's fire type of deals, right? Like if yeah. you're going to keep if you're an insider. And as someone who hosts a podcast with an insider, if you're going to mention Seattle as a destination for all these different places, like, does that not mean that Ron Francis isn't, you know, picking up the phone and saying, hey, well, I mean, I don't know when he can actually start talking to free agents, but I don't know if I, I get the sense he's probably chopping at the bit to do something. If you're the mm-hmm. Kraken right now, again, that first year, not as exciting as so many people would want. Nothing would get people more excited than if you got some big impact player 
to to just really solidify your roster and get people excited. Maybe you won't win in the first year, but at least you could say, hey, you know what? We are building around this guy. And I think with the fact that they have all that money and they have that space, Seattle could put themselves in a position where they could get, you know, maybe a Johnny Gaudreau. If Philip Forsberg, for whatever reason, uh, doesn't want to stay in Nashville, which I would still be very surprised about. Uh, why not go for him? Also, what about this idea? What if Johnny Gaudreau doesn't work out in Calgary and then Calgary says, okay, we're going to pour in some of that money for Forsberg that we would have put in for Gaudreau? I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, that's a pretty solid first-line replacement. Yep, that is def- – That is. Uh, I mean, if they're going to sustain, then they'll have to find an adequate first-line replacement. They have to be aggressive. That will be difficult. It will be difficult. They're either going to have to be aggressive – in a positive way, searching, headhunting for a great player or aggressive the other way and starting to tear down uh, what was a team that finished tops in the Pacific Division last year. So interesting to see what happens with Calgary. As for Seattle, Alex Demriket, not an option because they don't have the futures capital to make a big trade, but a big trade could be in the works uh, involving the Chicago Blackhawks and Alex Demriket over the next few days, um, you know, a lot of insiders are saying this is it would be a surprise if Debrinkat didn't get moved. He is the number one trade candidate, it seems, although a guy like Kevin Fiala compares pretty well to an Alex Debrinkat. But now, now that that deal's done, a lot of the attention uh, is on Debrinkat and where he might land. I, I have no idea where he could go. I know a lot of teams have what it takes to land him, and I know a lot of teams are willing to make a move in this draft. So packaging a few picks and a prospect for a player who could hit 40 goals, maybe not in his sleep, but pretty close to is very, very intriguing when we're talking about potential storylines here on draft week. Um, From the Chicago standpoint, it's clear what they're doing. They are rebuilding. They just got a new coach in Luke Richardson. They are turning over what was left the remnants of a championship era although Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane are still there. And I wonder how they react to Alex DeBrinkett's um, imminent departure, at least it seems. Uh, but I'm not worried about those two right now. I'm worried about this trade and what might happen and where Alex DeBrinkett might go. Do you have any idea where he might land? I've seen, uh, I know Ian Mendez has discussed the idea of, of him being sent to the Ottawa Senators. And if you're looking for a player that would kind of take a franchise from, you know, rebuild mode to potential playoff contender mode. Mm-hmm. Inter- not, I don't mean playoff contender, just Stanley Cup contender. I mean, in this case, like someone who could actually make the playoffs. That's an option. We're talking about the New Jersey Devils earlier for second overall pick. If Chicago came up to them and said, hey, we're willing to trade you, Alex, to bring it for a second overall pick. Now we're talking about we're an talking, option that yeah. could make sense. That is something that could be a feasible thing for, for New Jersey to look at. Um I, I look, I find a GM and I have an uh, if I have a hole on the wing and Alex Debrinkit could fill that hole, I'm I'm doing it. We're talking about one of the better goal scorers, despite his size over the last how many years in the National Hockey League. I, I would be very quick to add him to my roster if I could. So uh, Ottawa, New Jersey makes sense to me as potential destinations because of the type of players that they've been looking for and the chatter up around those two teams. Uh, I'll throw in Calgary there too if they aren't able to make something work with Johnny Gaudreau. Um, but yeah, like I, I mean, I'll, I'll add this too with, with, with Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane, like it really is the end of an era for that Chicago team, which already, uh, their, their, their cup win will be forever mired in controversy. Their first one anyway, Mm -hmm. Uh, it'll unfortunately for them kind of cloud over the rest of that run. But yeah, if you're, if you're those two players and you see a guy like Alex to on the way out, 
this is not a team that's looking to contend right now. You're right. No. This is a team that is looking to rebuild. And I get that Taze is at a point in his career where health is, is a pretty big issue. But if you're a guy like Patrick Kane and you still want to win, how do you not ask to be moved somewhere else right now? Or how, how do you ask to not, how do you not ask to, to play for, for another high impact franchise that could help, you know, bring up, not bring up your value, but put you in a position where you could win the Stanley cup again. It, it's done for Chicago right now. Yeah, I mean, that's the chaos I need. I don't think anyone's going to bite on Jonathan Taze, even at 50% retained salary. That would be $5.25 million, I think, for Jonathan Taze with a couple more years left. But if Patrick Kane decided he didn't want to be on a team that is non-competitive, the 50% retainment on him would be very, very interesting. Patrick Kane at half the price, there would be an immense bidding war for his services. That's the stuff that we need. That's the summer content we need here, Julian. If anything's going to take us off the beach, off the patio, what do you call it? Terrasse. The terrasse. If anything's going to take us off the patio and terrasse, respectively, it's a Patrick Kane deal this summer. That would be very, very fun if that indeed ended up happening. But the first step to that, is an Alex Dabrinkat deal. And let's hope for your sake and mine that that happens this week because that'll be a lot of fun to talk about wherever he ends up. For some reason, I have a feeling Lou Lamorello is going to get it done. I don't know why. Oh, you think Lou? I think they need to shock a little life into that roster after a bad year, but they still have the potential to be a very good team. So I wonder if that's something old Lou revisits or visits. Tell you what. So if that something like that happens, man, uh, whenever I get those Bobby Margs, I will do a spit take. Uh, they're they're coming. They're coming. Uh, I know I they're coming. I, I, I don't I, doubt I, you. It's a little. It's not that easy to find. So I've had to do a little research. Got to make the drive about twenty minutes. But we'll get you those Bobby Margs very very soon. Minutes? They'll be on their way before the draft. I promise. Um, okay. It's been a while. We should probably get into a little Leaf talk. It's been actually very very quiet around the Leafs. Uh, so quiet that you almost think that the relationship with Jack Campbell is completely sour because there should be conversations with your starting goaltender that you shouldn't want to lose, at least you would think. But it's very, very quiet, and it seems like the Leafs are kind of just like cold-shouldering the guy that uh, was their number one starter last season and took the reins from Freddie Anderson two seasons ago. Um and then you have Kyle Dubas changing his profile pic to a little cute photo of him holding two phones up against uh, each of his ears, which is very, very interesting. I wonder if he's got no, something he in the works. He did oh, that. Yeah. We got a we got a, a profile pic change from the Leafs general manager who is under fire. Oh my god! He be really did. Fire. That's amazing. Like no one else. Uh, yeah, he's getting cute before draft night, so he must be pretty confident in what he's doing at the helm with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And maybe that doesn't include retaining Jack Campbell. I've heard the Oilers name more and more as potential interested party for Jack Campbell, which makes sense because there's a bit of a succession program for the Leafs to the Oilers with Zach Hyman and the fact that they just need a goaltender. So are the Oilers right to pursue this guy? And are the Leafs wrong to apparently turned, uh, turned a blind eye to him? Well, the Oilers, as we have said for months on months on end, whether on this podcast, uh, on another podcast that I'm doing, I'm sure on your time on 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 the radio or all that, we mm-hmm. people have been screaming from the heavens. Ken Holland, get you a goalie. 
So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, they were able to get a guy like Jack Campbell to sign on the dotted line. I am admittedly a little surprised considering what Jack Campbell has seemingly meant to that franchise in his short time with them, uh, the way he's endeared himself to Leafs fans as well. I, I guess it is just a, an issue of how much he feels he should be paid. And maybe the maybe the uh, the Maple Leafs feel that a guy like Billy Huso, if he goes on the market, would be more of a better fit. But yeah, it is a bit surprising to see that uh, things have gone a little quiet. But maybe maybe that doesn't necessarily mean that things aren't going on. Maybe they're just keeping stuff close to the chest. But uh, yeah. yeah, the idea that Kyle Dubas would have the profile picture of him with the two phones, him channeling his inner Kevin Gates, one for the one. Uh, I'm trying to wow, I completely blanked on the Kevin Gates song lyric. It's, it's, I got two phones, one for the plug, one for the low. That is nuts <laughs> that he would willingly do this. That is awesome. We need more people leading into the beam. Uh, but yeah, it is quiet. Maybe a little too quiet for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It, it is very interesting that uh, things are, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that uh, I don't see like more Chris Johnston tweets about what the Leafs might be doing. I don't know. It's a little, it's a little quiet. Yeah. It might be by design. Maybe this is the ploy. Maybe they're uh they're acting like they're they're not really interested but they really are and we'll see if they get back to the table and we'll see if that pays off uh for the two phoned kyle dubas uh i'm sure they have a plan but last year their plan was what 10 minutes into free agency signing peter morazic to a three-year deal at almost four million dollar per so having a plan doesn't mean it's a solid plan so we shall see if the uh leafs and the oilers get their goaltending straightened out because that should be priority one for both those two franchises. Priority one for Nazem Kadri. Uh, it could be cashing in to the tune of what, nine, nine and a half, maybe $10 million as the most sought after free agent hitting the market, at least at the center position. Or it could be sticking around in Colorado where he just won a Stanley Cup, is making thousands of dollars for his foundation and t-shirt sales with a snarky little bit uh, against uh, John Cooper. I what bought do you one. think? Did you? You paid the duties, eh? It's really expensive, oh, yeah. those duties, man. It's, it's get... worth it. It's worth it. It's a dope shirt. All right. All right. Uh, that, oh, I won't get it then because I don't want to you know, bite your style or anything, but you just saved me $40. Why not? Get, get the shirt. Get the shirt. We both have just do it caps. Why not? That's true. That's true. We uh, we could be matching one day, and I promise it won't be planned. But Nazem Kadri could buy all the T-shirts by the end of this uh, summer based on what he could potentially earn. But I have a feeling that he wants to be in Colorado. I wouldn't be surprised to see him take a pretty serious haircut to stick around. And I wouldn't be surprised if Valeri Nichushkin did the exact same thing. So your take on Colorado, your take on what Kadri might be thinking as maybe the number one free agent set to hit the open market. I'm with you. I see him staying in Colorado. I see him staying because of the fact that the, the team itself is on a good staying, good, good plane. They just won the Stanley Cup. They, they still have a chance to win more cups throughout this window that they've set themselves in. My second thinking is he's 31 years old. And the idea of giving a 31-year-old center, a center, very important position, of course, but a 31-year-old 10 mil a year for like, what, the next eight years? Yeah. That is a steep price tag for anybody. You're talking about paying a guy 10 million when he turns 39 years old. If uh, you're Kadri, give him Kadri is not Kadri anymore at $10 million. Like the beauty in no. Kadri is that he's an awesome secondary option that doesn't get paid a ridiculous sum of money. So he could become a far different player if he does maximize his value, at least in my opinion. Exactly. So so why put yourself through all that when you can stay in Colorado and be in a great situation? Maybe you sign for 7 mil. 
if that's if that's actually a feasible number you could have. It's not 10, but you at least play for a competing team and you help save some money to, you know, to, to put towards Nathan McKinnon or other or Valerie Nachuskin or other pieces that you want to retain. I'm with you. I I I the, the as as we get closer and closer to the free agent period, I have this weird feeling that Nazem Kadri is going to opt to stay. He at least seems open to that idea, or at least we've heard him say that he's open to that idea. And that kind of leads me to think that he might be willing to stay at a reduced rate. So long as that rate is not so far down. Yeah. uh, Obviously one to watch. Um, If you're a team that, you know, there's a, there, there are quite a few teams that would have the need. I mean, you've mentioned Seattle. I've heard Arizona. I mean, you want to pay someone. Is is that the guy that you throw a lot of money at while you try and get through these next three to five years? Uh, Maybe the Detroit Red Wings who've been searching for a second center forever, but do you really want to overpay? Even if you're one of those teams in a position to overpay, I think general managers in the NHL right now are too smart to do stuff like that. Yes. Someone will pay him a lot of money. I think Seattle would break the bank, but I just think there are fewer bad decisions being made. And I think I fear at least that a bad decision will be made on Kadri when the best decision, certainly for his, uh, future as a productive NHLer is probably with the Colorado Avalanche. So we'll see if they can find middle ground there and Kadri can still make a ton of money, but remain with the Avalanche. The- hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Go ahead. You're saying GMs are too smart nowadays. Are you sure it's that GMs are too smart nowadays or They're is it smartening up are- a little bit? Or is it just that they don't have nearly as much money to play with considering That's the history true. of GMs in the free agent market and considering the salary cap not going up? I'm not I'm not here to insult the GM's intelligence. It's just that if you if we've seen in the past that some of them will throw out the money at guys mm-hmm. they probably shouldn't be throwing the money out. Shout out to people like Matt Bolesky making the bet. But like <laughs> because of the fact that not a lot of them will have as much money they'd like to play with compared mm-hmm. to previous years, I think that works a lot in their favor. And it could ultimately hurt players like Nazem Kadri who want to make nine, ten million dollars. Uh, especially at the ages that they're at. Paying a guy like Johnny Goudreau is a little younger, all that money, a little bit more palatable than paying a 31-year-old center like Nazem Kadri at 10 mil. You're right. You're right. There are still Chuck Fletchers who, if they could get into the Kadri conversation, I'm sure they would like to. But uh, I feel like the teams with money, I mean, there's Seattle that has a lot to spend, of course. But then there's like Detroit who are led by Steve Eiserman, who's not going to make that big of a mistake right like i just can't imagine even if you're desperate to spend um to lure cadre out with what has to be a brinks truck uh i just can't see a guy like eiserman doing it but maybe there is someone who's willing to bite that bullet to bring in let's be honest a second line center for a large large sum of average annual value that's probably pushing it Mm -hmm. a little bit so we'll see what happens with cadre the most fascinating name though i think is evgeny balkan I find this story very, very enticing because it looks like Chris Letang might stick around in Pittsburgh, but maybe less likely that Evgeny Malkin sticks around in Pittsburgh. And if Evgeny Malkin, who is a future Hall of Famer, a legend, an all-time great, is just suddenly able to pick, pick and choose, call his shot, do what he wants to do, I want to know what that is. I want to know if he wants to go cup chasing. I want to know if he wants to cash in. I want to know what Evgeny Malkin will do if the door closes in Pittsburgh. Are you with me on that? 
Yeah, like we're talking about one of the best players we've seen over the last 15 years. To hell with the fact that the league won't put him in their top 100, which is still a travesty. If Kenny Malkin showed that he could still play at a high level when he's healthy, I think teams, I don't know who would want Evgeny Malkin, but I'm sure for a lot of teams in the National Hockey League, having a guy like Evgeny Malkin in your center depth makes it stronger. So, yeah, I'm very much into the Evgeny Malkin sweepstakes. I don't know if he comes back to Pittsburgh. I feel mm-hmm. as if, if if it was, I mean, it seems as if it's more optimistic that Chris Letang stays than Evgeny Malkin stays. And if Malkin goes, we're talking about a massive pillar for the Pittsburgh Penguins and what they've built since 2006, essentially. That is a massive loss for that team and their identity as far as I'm concerned. But it's a big win for us as uh, people in the media and content creators who want all the chaos to happen. Mm -hmm. I would love to see Evgeny Malkin design. Could you imagine if, like, Washington cleared space to try to find a way to get Evgeny Malkin? Do you you imagine how ridiculous that would be? I would lose. We would lose our minds. What if they don't even have to clear space? Like, Nick Backstrom. Man. It is it might not play next year. That's maybe true. maybe Gino goes full petty and signs for like two and a half, and they use the rest of Backstrom's money on someone else. And Washington is like, you know, really the Russian machine that never breaks. Like I, I it like Yo. it could be really really interesting uh, if uh, you know if Malkin has that in him. I don't know what he's going to do. He might end up in South Florida on the Panthers for uh, uh, Anthony Duclair's salary because he's going to be on long-term IR. Like, this this could be very, very interesting what happens here. Uh, but he also might just jump at the highest salary. Maybe that's the Red Wings. Uh, maybe he ends up in Tampa Bay. I I, I want to know what Evgeny Malkin is going to do. He goes to Tampa Bay. If he goes to Tampa Bay somehow, can you imagine how pissed everyone would be? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Man, Evgeny Malkin in a lightning uniform, if one do much... That's too, much. too much. <laughs> That's too much for people. And look, I wouldn't mind it, but some people would say that. Yeah, I'd like to see. I just want to see him explore it. I want to hear who we might be talking to. I want to know who's interested. I want the Evgeny Malkin story to continue. And if he does end up in Pittsburgh, good on him and good on the Penguins for uh, keeping their legendary core together, even though it might be the end for them. Although they did take the Rangers to seven and should have won that series. So we shall see. Uh, Let's do the tire pumps. It's where we bestow praise on anything and everything. Not everything. Anything in the hockey world or hockey world adjacent. I used to think that Rod Brendamore had the greatest cup hoist of all time. 2006, Hurricanes beat the Oilers. His emotion, the stomps as he grabbed the cup from Gary Bettman. My favorite ever cup hoist, but it has been dethroned by Curtis McDermott. What? Who hoisted the cup at a nightclub and fell. And it was hilarious. So no, uh, Justin. Okay, it's not my favorite. It's still Rod, but I just had to try to say. <laughs> but I give it. I give Curtis McDermott my tire pump for making me laugh very, very hard with a drunken cup hoist and something that I thought would happen more. Like this is a heavy trophy. I, yes. I, I'm surprised that it hasn't taken someone off their feet on the ice before. Just like the excitement, the weight of the thing, everything that goes into it. But I guess when you're 13, 14 beers deep, like Curtis McDermott probably was, it does have that power to take you right off their right off your feet. So shout out to him for providing the best highlight of the celebration from the Avs, which was predictably very, very drunken. Julian, your tire pump. That's hilarious. Like I, you're right. It does look like a, I always wondered 
if I was able to lift the Stanley Cup trophy on my own or if I would need help from somebody. But yeah, oh, come I, on, I, you I, could get it up. But when you throw it up, it's like you gotta catch, you gotta catch yourself. Uh, and he oh. failed to catch himself. How much, how much does it actually weigh? Isn't it 35 pounds? Oh, that's not so bad. No, I could lift 35. I think I could. Oh, of course you could. Okay, but that's like, not so bad. But if you were underestimating it, it might yeah. uh, surprise you. Okay. I'm looking at that. I'm for my uh, 34 and a half pounds. Okay, that's not so bad. I could, I could you know, give me in the weight room a little bit. I could get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, my hockey adjacent tire pump goes to uh, the OG Glizzy Gulper, uh, the king of Glizzy Gulping, uh, Joey Chestnut. For oh, winning man. the hot dog eating competition for a 15th uh, time, mm-hmm. uh, consecutive years, actually. Dude just cannot stop eating them hot dogs, man. Not only did he win the trophy this year, he managed to stave off a protester who crashed the event. With, and with a broken leg. With that is nuts. Leg. Dude was going in in crutches and said, I put it on my back. <laughs> And he found a way to do it. He didn't break his record like he's done over the last how many years. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you were able to stave off a protester and do it on one leg. I mean, you should add 10 extra hot dogs to that total right there. So, Joey Chestnut, congratulations on winning, again, the hot dog eating competition. And shout out to everybody uh, who thinks they could do the whole gulp. The, you see those people doing the gulp of the gallon of lemonade uh, that, that competition that, as well. Yeah. Shout out to everybody doing that. You out here being a little too overconfident. There's no way you can do a whole gallon of lemonade without either pissing yourself or <laughs> spilling all over. This is ridiculous. Or, people people get super overconfident over that. Or gut rot. I can't even imagine the gut rot uh, that you would get Ugh. from drinking a gallon of sugary lemonade. That would just be uh, a nightmare. Maybe worse for me than the hot dogs would be that. But yeah, shout out to the legend, Joey Chestnut. Uh I mean, we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of people, protesters, whatever, run on the field of play, if you want to call that the field of play uh, today with Joey Chestnut. Um, but few, and even like football players that have pads and get a free shot at streakers at a football game, we've seen few athletes, and I use athletes loosely, manhandle a protester streaker like Joey Chestnut did, and he was on a broken leg today while he was eating forty, like he was probably at like forty by then. Yeah, I think he had finished with like 62, but he was yeah. already like more hot dogs than each of our families would consume on a candidate day by himself manhandling a protester. I mean, it was it was legendary stuff. I do have a theory, though, that oh, the broken okay. leg was a prop and an excuse oh. because he's not at the height of his game anymore. The fact that he only put 62, I think the over under was like 76 way under. And the fact that he manhandled that guy the way he did, uh, it didn't look like there was a problem with his leg. So I, I'm calling shenanigans a little bit on Chestnut, wow. who might be fading as a competitive eater, but a diminished Joey Chestnut is still the best competitive eater on the planet. Still so, better than the rest of the field. So he continues to get it done. Uh, and there is no more 4th of July celebration than watching Joey Chestnut uh, retain his title. So shout out to all of our American listeners who are celebrating the 4th of July today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just laughing at Joey. Ch- like, I never think about this. If you get, you know, when we see athletes, the ones that have, you know, decked out protesters, is it better or is it worse 
to have been manhandled by a hot dog eating champion. Like if you get oh, hit by worse. like some football player, it's like, man, I got I got hit by like Luke Keekley or something. If you have to go home to your boys and be like, yo, man, I got my ass handed to me by Joey Chestnut on one leg. Is that cool? I, I don't know if that's cool. It's not cool. I mean, nothing we saw today at the hot dog eating competition was cool. I don't think. Uh, it's a little grotesque. But definitely, definitely, if you got manhandled by Joey Chestnut, I don't think you could be. I don't think you could be going to your boys with uh, any of your self esteem <laughs> left. You lost. Hey man, look, hey, hey man, look. I was at the hot dog eating contest. I tried to prove my point about this social cause I believe in, <laughs> and Joey Chestnut had me on my ass. <laughs> I guess we, I, I don't know what the social cause was or what it was. So we shouldn't chirp the, them that much. It might have been actually a good thing that they're protesting. I have no idea because we should probably look into that before we start uh, lambasting the individual. But Very the fair. truth of the matter is they got pretty tuned up by Joey Chestnut, who, like I said, was many hot dogs deep at that point. Uh, it's a busy week for us. It's a busy week for you, Julian. We've got zone time a little later today. It's a double dip for us. So we're keeping it a little bit short, but uh, you know, we're just under an hour now. So it's probably time to wrap things up. I mean, that's what we do after the tire pumps. Anyway, we could talk about Joey Chestnut all day, but we actually got another engagement, you and I, later. So we'll get to that and we'll leave it for this episode of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Julian, again, thank you for joining me uh, and we'll talk soon. Man. Peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 